Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we are going to interview Ryan Norris. Ryan is a double graduate from Wake Forest University. Uh, he had an, an undergrad in psychology and statistics and an, in, an MBA. Uh, he's a self-made real estate entrepreneur who owns and operates 14 mobile home parks spanning 1,408 units. But here's the thing. Ryan started with nothing, no money, no experience, and no network. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Andrew, I am so pumped to be here. Like I told you when we were talking um, a couple times prior up to this, I think what you're doing is really important and really necessary and not done in our space. So I am utterly jazzed to be here. Oh, awesome, dude. Well, why don't you start out by telling the listeners a little bit about your, your background? Sure. Uh, look, I, I can talk about all sorts of fancy stuff. Went to Wake Forest, sold cars, won a bunch of awards, yada, yada, yada. Look, I was stuck. I was stuck. I bought the lie. The lie is work really hard in school and then you can go to a really good college and then you can get a really good job and then you work really hard, you get promoted and you can retire on a beach one day. Well, it turns out that's not really true. You work really hard in school and you miss a lot of stuff and you stress out and you, you look back on your early years and you're like, man, I worried so much about getting A's and I missed all of these opportunities to, to grow in so many other important ways. And then you go to a great school. You're like, hey, Wake Forest University, dream school, get to go. It's great. I don't regret anything about it until you get in the working world. And you're like, that's a lot of student loan debt. <laughs> I'm going to be paying on this for a long, long time. And then you get that job where you're like, great, I'm in corporate America. Like I'm, I'm making good money. It's stable. I, you know, then all of a sudden you realize I hate this. So I'm stuck with student loan debt. I'm at a job I don't want to get promoted at, and I, I, I feel underpaid and overworked, and I, I, it's unfulfilling. And I just, you know, I, I get tired of complaining, and I just went, you know what, this is not for me. And so I went out and I looked at over 100 businesses to start, and over the process of about 10 years, I've landed on mobile home parks and flash forward about, like I said, about 10 years later, and here I am today. And when you found mobile home parks, did you come across an article? Did you read about it in an investment? I know you were in in banking, right, at, at yes. Wells Fargo for a while. So did you find it there and say, wow, this looks like an intriguing asset class? Or what What was the hook that got you? So it's there's a two-part to this. First off, I was looking. So I had actually started three businesses prior to finding mobile home parks, all of which failed. <laughs> Uh, most of them didn't really even get started. And one of them was like totally stupid in retrospect. It was like me and my buddy trying to start a blog about which bars are the best to go to in Charlotte, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but to think I was ever going to do that full time. But, uh, but we, yeah, I was looking and I was reading like a fiend. I, I was challenging myself to read 50 books a year. And I just, I, I knew I needed to be an owner. And this actually happened while I was selling cars. So I sold cars for four years. I sold a ton of cars, something like over 800 cars. It was like about 18 cars a month, a little over that, more like closer to 19 cars a month. Won a ton of awards and was just totally unhappy. 
and I was looking for more. And during that process of looking at over a hundred businesses, give, give or take, I eventually went, I really like real estates. There's something special about this. And then I bumped into Ian, Ian Tudor, and we had actually grown up in the same neighborhood together. And I was in Miami doing an internship with Carnival Corporate, Carnival Cruise Line Corporate. And he was in Orlando working for Parkway, which is a multi-billion dollar REIT. And we were just hanging out and we were like, we are perfect business partners. We both are, had been looking at businesses to start. And he just, he was like, what do you think about mobile home parks? And I was like, you know what? I love the show Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> so let's have a look, Sipu. And the more I dug into it, we, we bought a Frank and Dave, uh, we didn't go to the boot camp, but we got their manual or whatever, crushed through it. And I went, this is it. And my wife hates this, hates that I say this. <laughs> but when I met my wife, okay, she loves the first part, hates the second part. When I met my wife, like it, I, I know this sounds like Hollywood, but the stars just aligned. Like everything just made sense. It was just like, I'm, we're never going to, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. That's and awesome. when I found mobile home parks, the exact same thing happened. I went, <laughs> all the boxes are checked. This is it. And my wife is like, I utterly hate that you compare oh me to gosh, this. That comparison. Oh, geez. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, so how long have you owned mobile home parks? When did you buy your first park? Uh, it took some time. So we started in July of 2015. So we're actually on our five-year anniversary this month, which is exciting. And it took us till September of 16 to buy our first. So 14 months to actually get started. And that was a joint venture. I had no money. Like, quite, like, quite literally, I had more student loan debt than actual cash. So what we had to do was cash out the finder's fee from that deal and keep a sliver in it. So we could learn the operations along with um, a strong operator and then take that finder's fee, the majority of which we cashed out and invested in the next deal. And then the third deal, we literally just quit our jobs and moved in to the mobile home park and lived that life for 14 months, learning everything from the front line. So that's how I, I got started. And it took about two full years just about to actually go from uh, learning about the business to actually getting started full time. And, and that's with a big asterisk because I took a huge pay cut to do that. I mean, I'm literally paying myself a property manager salary. I'm literally living in a mobile home. I pay my own, I pay myself next to nothing. And that doesn't include 401k or benefits, which were gone as soon as I quit Wells Fargo, like you said. So, I mean, I made a pretty big sacrifice, but I knew I had the vision at the time that if I'm going to grow this, I need to go full time and I need to learn everything about all the nuts and bolts from the front line. That's awesome. And that's, that's why I love you and Ian, because you guys are just very hands-on, very involved. You know, you're one of the few operators that is lived in a mobile home park. And I'm one of the other ones. I know. And it's a very special experience, as I'm sure you have a, a few stories of your own to tell. Uh, but but that's, that's really awesome that you guys have, have gone all in and, and done that and now grown a nice portfolio. So how many parks have you guys taken full cycle, full business cycle from you bought it, you know, and is your business model to buy, fix it up, value add, you know, refinance? Is that your, your typical model? 
So first off, I want to say that's why Ian and I love you and what you do. <laughs> I have to get that in there. We like if, when people ask me who are your favorite people in this space, you are you are either the first one or one of the first people I mentioned because of what you do. So thank you. Right I back at you, dude. That, we <laughs> think the world of you. Uh, and that's probably because we are part of the same brotherhood of actually showing up. And when you came on my podcast, I said this and I'm going to say it on yours. You have a one up on me because you figured out how to get your wife to move in and stay in. <laughs> oh, my wife was there for about a weekend and was like, no, we're out. I think we so. both have that in common where we have amazing partners. And that's a big part of probably why we've built these these large businesses is, you know, that we have supportive partners that are, you know, right by our side. So I I couldn't do it if my wife wasn't pushing and, and, and assisting and, and supporting well, like we said before we hit record, if you don't have a happy and he healthy family, you that's you have nothing. And yeah. it's just so important to have a wife, both of our wives who are just so supportive of what we do. Uh, they realize it makes us happy. And you know, regardless if you're making millions or making pennies, if it's making you happy and you you're you're being you're doing good in the world, it is, you know, the everything, quite literally. But to answer your question, so of the 14 deals that we bought, we have sold out of three. So we currently have 11 under our belt. And the reason why we did that, which is going to answer uh, another question that you have lined up in a little bit, is we don't actually want to take on investors right now. So I actually have a handful of folks that I do joint ventures with. And then the rest, the majority of, so 10 out of those 11 deals are literally just me and Ian and one of our, our best friends, Jason, and that's it. Um, and then the other deal I do with another one of my best friends, and that's it. And the reason why uh, I do that is because I want to not have pressure from an APREF or from outside investors. And we can get into how much I'm costing myself by doing that, but what I'm gaining by paying for that later. But to answer your question, my goal is almost always to buy and refinance because I'm trying to grow uh, something. Uh, we've started a partial college scholarship. We partner, I think you do too, with Paylease to help people build their credit. We love charity work. We love to give back. And what we've learned in a few years of doing charity work is you can't be the jack of all trades and master of none. Otherwise, no one's going to take you up on your charity work. So for us, uh, it's not only an economy of scale by keeping it close knit, um, and by, you know, refining and growing, but also from the charity perspective, we're much more effective when, when we're a little bit more tight knit. So, uh, how many have I taken full cycle where I buy it, fix it and either sell out my equity share. I've sold out a three, um, of my equity share. And, um, and I think we've refinanced almost all of them now with exception of the ones that we ju we've just closed on. So, yeah, I mean, we we try to get them refinanced within 12 to 24 months. So we buy them ugly. Uh, for the most part, we've definitely bought some really nice, really stable properties too. But, you know, what is the ideal property for Ryan? Ugly, has a lot of issues, needs someone like me who speaks Spanish, self-taught in Spanish, who's going to be there face-to-face -face with tenants, growing, you know, moving in homes, growing, turning um, the tenant base, bringing in some really wonderful people, helping folks who aren't going to fit what we're doing, find good, safe, affordable housing outside of the community, the works. So that's, um, yeah, a very long-winded way to, yeah. to answer your question. No, that's great. What would you say, Ryan, is the hardest part about the business? 
So there's a lot of things. I would definitely say it's twofold. It's number one, operating is really, really, really hard. And uh, the big reason why I started my podcast is I wanted people to understand that it's not just you buy it and it's a coupon clipper. It takes a lot of skills that take a long time to develop. And mm-hmm. when things go right, yeah, sure, it's a coupon clipper, but name another business that isn't. I mean, I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss and four hour work week is literally all about a coupon clipping business where you don't have to invest much time and you don't need mobile home parks if you want to own your own business and it'd be hands off. The thing about mobile home parks that's so risky, if you are an an owner is, yeah, you might get lucky and have something that's not a lot of work, but here's the thing, in the drop of a hat, it can become an absolute nightmare of an operation. So that is really, really hard. It takes a long, long time to develop those skills. Um, which is why I'm glad you're doing your podcast to help people see that there's another option to invest in mobile home parks. Um, But also finding deals themselves is really, really hard, especially if you're like me and you have like a bullseye that you're looking to hit. I mean, I think there's only about 300 mobile home parks I would consider buying right now. And the majority of those are going to be really hard to get and take years because I'm not looking to pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to sell? Okay, bye. I'm looking to build relationships over years like before we hit record, I was telling you about a deal I have under contract right now where I don't, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head how long I've been talking to this family, but I found a thank you note that I wrote them two years ago, almost two years ago. Right. So <laughs> I'm looking to grind them out for a long, long time, build relationships and, and go from there. So it's just, it's going to take a long time for me to scale. And I'm totally okay with that. Sure. And that piggybacks on the next question. You know, what does the perfect park look like? like for Ryan Norris? So like I like hinted at, you know, I've, I buy stable properties too, but for me, what is just utterly perfect is something that needs a lot of work. That's really close to my home. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one thing that makes me really, really, really proud to do what I do beyond the charity piece and helping kids get their education is to go to a property, to take a whole bunch of pictures And then a year later, go back and take a whole bunch of pictures because here's what I see. I see vacant homes. I see homes with issues. I see dirty, grimy, gross, you know, underutilized affordable housing. Flash forward a year later, I see people investing in their homes, building beautiful decks, telling their family about it, cleaning up stuff without me even telling me that they're doing it, self-policing with the shenanigans. In other words, you know, I, I, I'm probably just like most people listening in, we're tired of seeing politics on Facebook. It's really frustrating. No one really knows much about politics and you're going to like lambast people. I don't want to see that. Right. (laughs) But one thing we can probably all agree on is all politicians love to talk about affordable housing and do next to nothing to support it. Andrew, you and I and Ian and, and like-minded people are doing something about it. We are going to a spot that already has affordable housing that is either vacant or not being done right. And we are investing capital dollars and improving it and bringing in new families and providing our communities with affordable housing that is clean, that you can help them build their credit. You can help them send their kids to college. That to me is a big part of my why that if the politicians are not going to give the much needed affordable housing, I will. So Ryan, will you and Ian ever take on passive investors to partner with you in the future? What does that look like if, if you've thought about it or you know discussed it? So major dork alert, I was actually the president of chess club in high school 
I don't, not that I was any good at playing chess, but <laughs> I think the my favorite lesson from learning about and playing chess and, and organizing chess tournaments in high school was that in chess, you don't have a scoreboard, right? You don't really know who's who's winning until someone says checkmate. So how do you quantify whether or not someone is ahead in chess? Well, you do it by available moves on the table. So in other words, optionality is how you know you're winning in chess. And so for me, I always want to, I don't ever want to say I won't do something. But for me, at this point in time, I'm trying to go grow slowly and organically. And I'm trying to enjoy my my son while he's really young. And I'm hopefully going to welcome some more little kiddos into the world with time too. And what I don't want to do is grow too fast or grow wrong or have the pressure of having to place capital and that distort the way I I underwrite. I would rather grow slowly, have way too much money in in the bank and have that be uncomfortable. Like Warren Buffett says, if you saw how much money I sat on for that long, you would be totally uncomfortable. That's kind of the mindset I'm, I'm taking into this. Eventually, what I will probably really consider is literally selling my portfolio to myself and bring on funds that way. Or who knows? I mean, maybe one day it'll make sense to, to have a fund. But for me right now, I absolutely love just keeping it with my really close friends and growing it slowly how I want to grow it. But I mean, like my quant professor said when I was getting my MBA, there's more than one way to Charlotte. And what he meant by that from little old Winston-Salem is you can take I-85, you can take I-77, you can take back roads, you can take a bike, you can take a plane, <laughs> you can take a car. You know, there's there's more than one way to get to what you're going. I've decided, at least in the short run, the most efficient way to get where I'm going is to do what I'm doing. But, you know, maybe one day I'll sell my portfolio to myself or I'll go, you know what, let's go national or this or the other thing. But yeah, that's uh, kind of what we've decided on. Awesome. Well, when you do decide to take on investors, you know, have you have you thought about uh, what that would look like or, you know, compared to, you know, similar situations, you know, how do you split up your deals then? Do you, do you just split straight equity people, you know, that you partner with? Do you just give them a straight equity percentages and there's no pref or how do you, how do you slice those up? Yeah. So I invest money in almost every single deal that I have. So of the 11 deals that we currently have under management, only one of them I haven't put any money into. Uh, the rest of them i put up money, I get an acquisition fee, asset management fee, and a few other ways to incentivize myself. And and so that way we keep the incentives aligned. But I, again, I front load everything. And the, my thought process is even though that's going to, that will cost me in the long run. I mean, I've done the math way too many times and it will cost me in the long run, but in the short run, I'll have more cash. And if I have more cash, I can do more deals the way I want to do them. And I can live a lifestyle that I want to live uh, rather than having to wait to return all investors capital or bank on refining, getting the appraisal that I want and returning all that capital. So again, I, I want to be very direct about this. I am costing myself money in year 10. I am making more money today and I value that money today. I like it that you know what you want and you're firm on that. You're not trying to fit anybody else's mold. So that's, I admire that. So for passive investors that are looking to invest in this space, 
you know, what would you say are the most important things that they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? You know, I'm sure, you know, you have met and spoke to other investors that are just looking to passively invest. You know, what are, what are your tips to them? What do you tell them? First and foremost, educate yourself. And I don't just mean on the space. I mean on with whom you are partnering with. So there are some folks that it's a very small industry. There are some folks who are very loud in this space and are literally getting sued for fraud. <laughs> I Imagine taking half of your life savings and dumping it in something that you were sold on and someone you were sold on only to find out they actually don't know what they're doing. And this is my absolute biggest advice that I really wanted to say when I came on here is you must vet with whom you are partnering with because just because someone tells a really sexy story and seems really smart and seems like they got it together, that does not mean they know what they're doing. And I will tell you what is horrifying from my standpoint, I don't view myself as an expert because I'm, I'm, I, I, I started my podcast as a 20 something who is like, you know what? I just want to tell people how to get started in this space. You know, I'm not going to position myself as an expert because I really don't feel like I am. It is absolutely scary to me seeing how many people have raised a whole lot of money and end up asking me extremely basic questions. Horrifying, horrifying. I mean, I know people who couldn't even tell you how many vacant pads that they have or vacancies that they have. Here, here's $500,000 of my money. How many vacancies are on this property? I don't know. And I can't give you an answer within an hour. That's terrifying. So to me, the most important thing, you need to be able to vet the people you are partnering with, which is why I am so excited you are doing this podcast, because I think it is just absolutely crucial for folks to know who they're getting in bed with, quite literally. And here is how you can do that. In my opinion, you can educate yourself. I think that if I won the lottery and I went, I don't want to work another day in my life. What I would do is I would educate myself as best as I could in a space so that I could grill the people I am investing with. Now, once you invest with them, I think there is a level of like, you should probably stand back and let them do what they do. Like I've heard horror stories about investors calling up and, and arguing whether or not they should have bought a microwave for one of the employees. And you're like, dude, you're missing the big picture. A microwave is what, a couple hundred bucks? Like, yeah, stupid, right? So like to a certain degree, you don't want to grill the people you're investing with, but you got to do that on the front end because if you ask them really basic questions and they don't have very good answers to that, that is a huge red flag. And the only way you're going to pull that off is if you really truly understand the space you're investing in. And before you ask the next question, I have to get this in. So uh, former Pepsi C CEO, Steve Reineman, I had the, the uh, fortune of sitting down with him twice and chatting through several things, including mobile home parks. And I remember him going, this is a really good idea that I will never invest in. And I was like, is this just him being a politician here? And what I realized is, because he actually ended up hooking me up with the family office and uh, private equity shops, a couple that he invests money in. And the interesting thing was that I learned from that meeting was that he only invests in things that he understands. So convenience stores, distribution, drinks, stuff like that. And his big lesson to me in terms of how to invest passively when you've made it, right, mm -hmm. is 
you still only want to invest in what you know. And so he wasn't insulting me or telling me no, or like politely saying, please don't ask me for money. He was trying to teach me a lesson and it stuck, which is you want to invest what in what you know. And the reason is exactly what I just said right there. You educate yourself on this space so you can make sure you're not getting duped by a con artist. Because let me tell you something, I'm going to say this again. There are some con artists in mobile home parks that are getting sued for fraud right now. You do not want to be caught. And, and there's con artists in every industry, you Absolutely. know, and you could, you could search on Google and find a ton of news articles. And it's, it's really sad. You know, I was, uh, I, I back what you're saying. And, and I guess, you know, the more educated you are on the industry as a whole, the more you're going to be able to ask educated questions and, and know you know, how to expose any holes in a, in an operator's story. So I, I 100% agree with you there. I think that's really, really important. So, uh, one additional question I would ask you is, you know, what is one of the biggest mistakes or, uh, you know, incorrect pro forma projections that you made as an operator? Yeah. So, I made a, well, I, Ian and I made a huge mistake on the second property we ever bought. Uh, I actually made an entire podcast episode about this where we didn't check the water bills and we thought, hey, we submeter the water and you can pretty much so make that a zero, right? And what ended up happening was we had a mystery water leak we literally couldn't find for years. Oh. And we ended up having to replace about 40% of the property and of the infrastructure and the install main lines. The main lines, yep. And oh install a pump because the city was only giving us like 18 pounds of pressure at the bottom of the hill. And it was like a ski slope. So people oh. couldn't take showers at the top of the hill. So we ended up spending $150,000 replacing oh lines and goodness. installing a water pump. And about nine months ago, it, it's, it's gone back to normal because it, it went to, back to normal and then broke again. And now it's back to normal. And knock on wood, it's been back to normal for nine months. But this is a twofer. Number one, CapEx is the silent killer of mobile home parks. Yeah. You've got to diligence hard on your infrastructure and really understand it. Uh, number one. And number two, just because it's city water doesn't mean that's gold and you're gold and you don't have to worry because the truth of the matter is, I don't think about any of my properties I collect 100%. And honestly, if I can collect over 90, I'm doing cartwheels. Yeah. So you just because you think you can submeter and bill back doesn't mean you're going to collect 100%. Yeah, we had the op opposite issue in one of our parks where the PSI was 100 coming out of the, mm. the main and all of the lines kept bursting. Uh, so we had to put a pressure relief valve on it to reduce the pressure. Uh, but yeah, definitely want to spend a lot of time on your infrastructure and making sure that that is, is key in due diligence. But man, well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, what's the biggest win you've had in, uh, in the business so far? I absolutely love every one of my properties, but the easiest one to tell quickly is our countryside property in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It was zoned for 68 lots. It has 65 viable pads. It had 52 homes on it when we bought it, 45 of which were park-owned homes, one of which was an office, and it was a mess. There, The city sewer was getting sued by the attorney general of the state of South Carolina. Oh, they were goodness. absolutely ripping people off. And it was bizarre because I literally called the attorney general. I was like, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. And they knew her by first name. 
Jeez. I know, which was it, which just made me like, I couldn't speak. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not, not only am I not the only one, but I'm not the only one to the level where they know her by, that's crazy. So it was a mess. And of the 45 park owned homes, there were 29 residents and there was $15,000 of collections issues in the middle of the month when we closed on February 15th. Right in the middle oh, of the month. Oh so goodness. in other words, every, everything about that could go, there's, there's water leaks. Uh, they weren't billing back. Uh, the city sewer was owned privately and the, the woman was just absolutely taking people for a ride. And the thing about it was, Andrew, it had great bones. It had absolutely wonderful bones. This was a heavily marketed deal. That the homes in good, because you, you got, it was mainly park owned homes, you said. Were the homes in good condition? Not at all. Not at all. Did you keep the park? Because you you guys don't mind park-owned homes, correct? I actually really like park-owned homes. They're high risk, high reward. But now that I feel like I have enough skill, I can really turn a community and bring in folks that I have screened because I find one of the biggest issues with mobile home parks is you are looking at a tenant who is high risk to begin with, low credit or no credit, low income, and you want to hit them with a bullseye, which is you don't have any vicious pets, you're gonna follow my rules and you're not gonna move. And I'm gonna trust a mom and pop to have done that right. You know, like to me, I, I, it's, high, it's riskier, don't get me wrong, and hence why I don't have a fund is because I wanna take this risk on myself and get it stabilized and fill a community on my own. Uh, so to me, I, I love them. Um, but for, for countryside, it was exactly what I was describing earlier. It was a whole heap and hot of a mess with a wonderful property right by the mall. And everybody knew about it. Everybody knew about it. I mean, it got from like a national broker to a local broker to someone just a broker just getting started. So everybody had seen it. And every now and again, I get a line being like, I could have bought Countryside for cheaper than you. It's like, okay, great. Thanks, dude. Well, guess what? I I leased up every single home. I brought in 14 new homes. We currently have 64 homes on that property. 63 residents, one is an office. I've got one vacant pad we're waiting on uh, moving a home into because we're the, the city took over the sewer lines, which is great. And they're going to eliminate the pump station, which the lift station, which also gave us a ton of issues. And once that's done, we're going to have 64 residents, 65 homes, possibly sell off the office too at some point. But long story short, we got a construction loan from Integra Bank. And we basically were able to finance fixing up homes, fixing other issues, bringing in new residents. And within 90 days, the collections issues were all but gone. And a year later, it was a, the, the biggest, worst thing about that property was still the fight we had with the city sewer. And now the rent roll is double, over double. The gross revenue is over double we refinanced it for way more than what we bought it for. And we did all of that by showing up. We did that. Ian and I did that face to face, speaking our broken Spanish, sleeping on that property when we had to, we grinded that out. And it has not only rewarded us, it has rewarded the residents because we have some of our favorite residents there who we know personally face to face. And the, the city is a, fan of it too because one of my college buddies used to be the assistant to the DA in Spartanburg County and she was like the narcotics team aren't out there anymore like <laughs> thank you the crime has just absolutely plummeted because we got a bunch of knuckleheads out 
and we brought in some wonderful families and that to me everybody has won the residents the local community obviously we've won as well and the person selling out of it was ecstatic to to get it off their books too so in other words um that's by far and away the, the the best story i have because everything that went wrong i was able to fix and everybody won that's great yeah the win-wins are always the best for sure so in your deal, since you're doing like JV partnerships, you know, who's signing recourse on the, on the debt? All of us. So everyone every, is okay. every, myself, Ian and Jason, um, the, the three amigos, and then any other JV I've done, I pretty much only partner with my other really good friend and we, it's, it's always recourse. It's all recourse. Gotcha. And, uh, do you have any plans of like, you know, trying to refinance into agency debt? Have you guys got agency debt on any of your properties or it's non-recourse? We haven't. Uh, and I think a big, the, we struggled with that because our strategy is buying, as you know, really heavy value add stuff. Mm-hmm. And the problems I'm running into are that I'm going to need to dump a bunch more capital in to upgrade the quality, uh, which is problematic. I'm uh, and even if I do that, the one really big stickler is there's a difference between, for example, my Spartanburg uh, portfolios, three properties, 140 lots. I mean, it's it's about as stable as you can get, almost completely city city. Uh, my east side property has septic, but because they're not 140 lots in one community, it's spread out. It's become really difficult to convince agency. Now I say that. And I do believe eventually we will be able to make that argument with several years of P&Ls once we dump a little bit more capital into it that, hey, look, just because it's not 140 lots in one parcel doesn't mean you don't get that strong economy of scale. Doesn't mean that we don't have all those relationships with the local police officers and in the county. This should still qualify. And I think post-COVID, we'll re-engage that and we'll probably be able to score it. But for right now, we are totally happy with BB&T uh, and with a couple other banks we're working with. And for now, we're, we're just going to ride it out. That's great. That's great. Um, so if, when you're doing a deal, you know, and the due diligence costs add up, you know, usually 10, 15 grand or something like that, and the deal falls through, you know, is it split equally then between all the partners? Absolutely. Okay. That's how we, gotcha. that's how we, we've always done it. Um, we usually pay for it up front. And mm-hmm. since I do my own books and I'm the accountant, I keep track of every dollar. And then at the end, if we back out, like I was, before we hit record, there's one, um, we just backed out of, it was tough because we had been working that lead for about three years, found some infrastructure issues that were going to cost us a mint and I'm not going to make that mistake again. So I think we spent like $2,000 uh, in diligence and we'll cut that up and that'll be all she wrote. It's part of the, part of the business. I remember that deal that you and I looked at a, a long time yeah. ago in Fayetteville and that Same well, thing. that well system, what we find radon in the EPA results. Yeah. So we just had to pull the plug. Some that deals was, just don't work. That was crazy. By the way, that one did sell and the person who bought it did end up having to tap into city water. So we, we caught that. I remember we caught that about at the buzzer and yeah. we were absolutely right. And you could not drill another well there. And there was what, like a thousand yards to tap into city sewer. Oh. It was going to cost like 600 grand. Oh, we, we were, 
I, I haven't spoken directly to the person who bought it, but I know a friend of his and he basically echoed the exact same thing that we found in due diligence. Yeah. Um, so that cost a mint. Yeah. So where are you going to be in 10 years? What's your end game goal? And, you know, where I, will you and Ian still be partners? You know, what is, what does that look like? So if you ask Ian, he would say we have an unbreakable bond. So that was, it took him a couple of whiskeys to admit that, but uh, I, I see no reason why, you know, again, my wife hates that I use this example, but I think one of the best qualities about the relationship my wife and I have is we disagree really well. I know exactly what she's thinking and vice versa, because we're not, we, I, we're, we're going to disagree, but because we can get through it together, we can be completely honest with each other. And that I believe is what Ian and I have is I can tell him anything and vice versa and, and know that we're going to get really mad at each other sometimes and possibly even say swear words and hang up on each other. But then a couple hours later, we'll go, Hey, I was out of line. I'm sorry. And we'll be able to get through it. And because of that, I think as long as our interests don't grow apart, like uh, he wants to get in development one day and I don't, you know, as long as our incentives and interest continue to align. I think we're probably always going to be business partners. And uh, in 10 years, look, I, I will be a mobile home park person. I absolutely love what I do. I have found what I want to be when I grow up. Now, do I think it will look the same? No, I think I will probably be more of a COO type by then. And I will probably have some kind of education wing like we um, started a, a mentorship program. Uh, oh, awesome. So far, it's been awesome. We've got basically three people. We just dump all, a ton of one-on-one -on -one time into, and we've loved that. If we continue to do that, that might be really fun. I don't want to be like an educator, but I don't mind being like a personal trainer type coach. So mm -hmm. I, I could imagine myself doing that, doing more speaking gigs, but I, all of it will revolve around one thing, and that's helping people. Because I absolutely, utterly love helping people, whether that's my own residents, you know, jumping on your podcast, uh, you know, jumping on other people's podcasts, like what, taking calls from folks who may never buy a mobile home park and may never invest in a mobile home park. I don't care. Like, I want to help people and I don't need anything in return. And I think as long as in, in 10 years from now, as long as I can find a way that I feel like I am helping people, I will still be happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and, and how I'm doing it. So if you're listening in, you feel free to reach out. I don't need anything in return. I thoroughly enjoy helping people. That's fantastic. I mean, tell, tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you uh, if they have any questions. And, you know, I'm sure they will want to continue following you. So if you do start taking on passive investors, uh, you know, they will be on your email list ready to participate. So yeah, tell, tell listeners how to get a hold of you. Well, like my favorite rapper Tupac used to say, I ain't hard to find. And let me explain. <laughs> as dorky as that may sound, I am the only Ryan Naris that I know of in the world. It's spelled N-A-R-U-S. That's N like Nancy. Uh, Ryan Naris. I, the first thing I believe when you Google me that comes up is LinkedIn and I'm a wide open door. Uh, you can add me on LinkedIn. You can shoot me a line there. You can go to my website, which should be one of the first things to show up on Google, ArchimedesGRP.com. It's got a link directly to uh, my email there. Uh, it lists all of my content. I do quick YouTube videos. If you're curious about the space, I've got my own podcast. 
Um, like I said, I, I ain't hard to find. And if you reach out to me, I don't really care who you are. You can be broken, unemployed, or the CEO of a major company. I am happy to help you, and I will give you my time because I thoroughly enjoy helping others, and I want to leave this world a better place because I was in it. So please do reach out to me if I can help you in, in any way. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for that, and thank you for joining us here today. Yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been fantastic. I think you added a lot of value. Uh, Ryan and Ian also are the moderators of the Mobile Home Park Mastermind Facebook group. Uh, definitely recommend you check that out. I think it's facebook.com slash groups slash MHP Mastermind. So that's a, a great way to get plugged in and get more info on mobile home park investing. So anyways, that's it for today. Thank you all so much for joining us. Until next time. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.